Hello, everyone. Joining us today are Cecilia Rodriguez Milanes and Amy Denoyles from the University of Central Florida. Cecilia is a writer and professor of English literature, Latino studies, creative writing, and women's studies. Amy is a senior instructional designer in the Center for Distributed Learning and has published on many aspects of online teaching and learning, including e-textbooks, online discussion strategies, as well as feminist pedagogy. Welcome, Cecilia and Amy. Thank you very much for having us. Thank you. Um, um, so we, are you starting, Sarah? Sorry. Oh, no, you start, Cheryl. Okay. <laughs> so we thought we'd just ask you, um, first of all, if you could just tell us a little bit about how the two of you understand or define feminist pedagogies or pedagogies of care in your work. So I, I guess I'll, I'll dive in. Um, and we were talking about this earlier, the feminist pedagogy I learned hands-on. And I think that because I've been doing it so long, it almost feels organic, but it has always uh, held to the tenets of the breakdown of authority, where you are trying to be student-centered and having a dialogic classrooms. You're honoring uh, student voices, all student voices, and the idea that knowledge is constructed and that we actually construct it together. There are several other dimensions of sort of feminist pedagogy. And, you know, we can maybe, Amy, you want to add to that? Yeah, I mean, I think when, uh, when I first met Cecilia, it was about 10 years ago now, um, I visited her in her office and, and she was faced with this dilemma of going from a face-to-face -face class teaching 35 students to suddenly being in a blended environment of 100. And uh, so it was a big challenge of, ahead of her. And I remember the first day I sat down with her, she eagerly showed me some of the, the artifacts and projects that some of her students had made. So like I said, she kind of, she, uh, she kind of embodies um, the, the tenets of bringing people in to the space and inviting them in um, 100%. So even our relationship um, reflects a breakdown of that hierarchy that you that you often see, um, you know, questioning kind of who is holding the knowledge. Uh, so I think that's the most Im important part is, is being clear that it's, everyone has the knowledge, everyone has their own personal relationship to the knowledge. Let's Let's get it all out there in the in the open with the instructor, you know, facilitating, guiding, that kind of thing. Yeah, facilitating is the important word um, because, of course, professor is sort of you know authoritarian in a way, and I always uh, felt as a facilitator and you know sort of guiding and you know sort of egging on discussion, and um, you know when I was tasked with that big class, I, I took it on, but I knew that I could not do it alone. There was no way I could do it alone. And I had had an instructional designer that I didn't really use that much because I had still was teaching mostly face-to-face, -face. but I knew that Amy actually knew about feminism because she had a dissertation <laughs> that had the word feminist in it. And so <laughs> I said, we have found each other. <laughs> Yeah, you have to 100% commit to the philosophy that I think that's part of it. You have to, you, you have to embody the caring. Um, like we were talking earlier and, and I said, it's, it's almost hard to pick out the strategies of care with Cecilia because she just lives it and breathes it. So it's hard to like extract, you know, to other people, Hey, here's some things you could try. Cecilia seems to do them 
just naturally in her personal life and professional life kind of lit, you know, lives and breathes it. So it, it took us a little while to figure out, okay, what, you know, what are the That's exact what things? What yeah. Thing what are I the do? exact, and they can be so small, just using people's names, you know, in zoom as they, as they log in, Cecilia will say, hello, whoever, like amazing earrings, or I don't know, but just something yeah, yeah. to something really small can make a huge bit of difference. Yeah, thank you for that. That's really, really helpful. Um, and and I want to know a little bit more about how you incorporate feminist pedagogies and ethics of care. And maybe in the context of, of as Cecilia, you were talking about making that transition from the face-to-face -face where you feel like you can you can really feel and embody that dynamic to a, a class that's a lot a large, a large, let's say lecture class um, that's kind of a combination of online and and face-to-face -face. how did you manage that and what and what kind of um uh, tools did you use or strategies did you use to to make that um, transition and to continue to maintain that that ethic of care um as you went into that different environment so i think that because of the pandemic i had to go completely online and i had never done it before so I was always very hesitant about it because I always felt that it was impersonal. But I think that the, what made it personal that, that facilitated the caring is Zoom. I, there's just no way that I think I could have embodied the ethics of care without Zoom. I told them the first semester that I did it, the, the, you know, the attendance was only like 10%. And I realized that a lot of students had the cameras turned off, Sometimes they would turn off the audio. They wouldn't pay attention. They would go off somewhere. I might be saying, hello, Melissa, Melissa. And she, there was no Melissa. And uh, I said, you know, I'm going to make that percentage of participation 30%. And you have to be there. And it really did make a difference. So I did use my authority to force them <laughs> to turn on the camera. To participate. But it was so important because then I could see them and I could, you know, acknowledge them and I could recognize them and I could say, oh, your dog, it's so cute. And oh, you cut your hair. I like your hair that way. So it was, you know, a way to connect with them that I could not do if it was a, uh, asynchronous, right? Um, so they had to show up and they had to be there. And if they had, and this is another thing that's really challenging in the light of the pandemic is that a lot of people did not have very good Wi-Fi. They're, you know, they had computer problems, there was technical problems. So a lot of times students use their phones because they couldn't use a laptop. Sometimes um, I could see a student in a fast food joint because there was free Wi-Fi. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Sometimes I had students that were at work and they would go into their car to, to do the class. Sometimes they were driving and I would yell at them and say, stop it, turn it off, pull over. Just don't do that. <laughs> You're going to drive me crazy. So I think that the camera, the ability to, to, you know, like even just like, I'm going to hug you, <laughs> you know, it was a way to be intimate through the screen. Um, things that you can't do. So like specifically things that I would do face-to-face -face and online. I always use student-centered democratic practices. Every semester, I ask students to contribute to the curriculum. I ask them, what important women writers should we include? 
and they literally talk to each other. They say, you know, they sort of consolidate their lists and then they argue for their lists. And then we narrow down the list. And sometimes in a class of 35, this actually could be done face-to-face. -face. It could be done in one class site. I have done it. We, in when you do it online, it you actually it could be easier because you could do a lot of the, the early work online so that when you come to class, that it's a matter of them, you know, advocating for their lists. And then you could use the polling uh, uh, tool in the Zoom to, to, um, to do the voting. And if you don't have time in your class site, in your class time, I could use the, the learning management system quiz and have them vote there. So that's like one of the things that I do every, every semester face-to-face -face and online. Another thing that I do is I've always asked students grade each other for uh, group presentations. When we're face-to-face, -face, they present and students fill out scoring sheets and evaluate each uh, aspect of the presentation. And then I uh, add all of their scores and average it. And then I score 50% and their classmates score 50% of their presentation. So they're, they're being graded by their classmates. And they are also asked to self-critique, which is a feminist tenet. You must not just critique the process, you must self-critique. How did you do in this presentation? So we do that face-to-face -face and we're doing online. And that was one of the things that Amy helped me with so much. You want to tell them, Amy? Oh, my goodness. I just remember some kind of spreadsheet 10 years ago. And I, it's probably on my computer somewhere. But we just went over and over and over trying to figure out how to build something, a very simple thing that Cecilia could enter in these numbers. And, I mean, we're talking about evaluations of, you know, every, every person got however many evaluations. So we just built a spreadsheet together. Um, I and we write in our article about the affordances and the and the constraints of using a learning management system for us at our university. It's a must. It, there is no maybe you will, maybe you won't. You use it, um, and unfortunately, it really doesn't. It didn't allow for the kind of feminist grading practices that we were going for. So we had to just kind of go off on the side and build our own little spreadsheet in Excel to account for it. Um, and we've revisited it several times. Uh, we've, we've revised the grading. Uh, at one point we had, um, you know, students were getting lower grades than we actually thought. They deserved. They, they deserved, yeah. So we had to go back and kind of adjust for the next time um, to make up for that. But it, it, I mean, what we found in, in the articles that we've written is that it, it's not easy to um, enact feminist pedagogical practices online. Um, but it's probably not easy anywhere. So if you just are really committed to the process, you'll find a way. Yeah, and that the, the grading by classmates is anonymous so that they can be honest about, you know, um, evaluating their classmates, but they get a point for completing the survey because we call it a survey when they do the evaluation. So we're, I think we're, I'm happy with it now, Amy. I don't think we have to do anything else. To, yes. To and we took a screenshot, I believe, of the percentages and everything. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's, it's there. when you have a smaller class size. When you have 100, it, it, was, it was really complicated. But another thing I ask students to do with every essay that they turn in is to do a self-critique. I, uh, I ask them to write a memo about the essay they just wrote. So I always ask them, how do you feel about this? Do you feel like confident? Do you, are you, you, do you hate this essay? Do you wish you, you know, 
you know, you had picked another topic. I always say, if you had more time, or if you had more pages, what would you do? And then I ask them to grade themselves. And I say, justify the grade. Why do you think you deserve a B plus or an A plus? And I always find that they're really pretty good about evaluating themselves. And I absolutely take into consideration what they score themselves. Sometimes they're really hard on, on themselves. And other times I think, yep, you got it. This is definitely a B paper. <laughs> so those are things that I, strategies that I use face-to-face -face and online. And um, let me see. And I think that the, with the Zoom, the difference also is we talked about how you have a conversation that's going on, but you also allow them to have talk to themselves. Like the breakout rooms are great. And the students love the breakout rooms because then they're not, they're not talking in front of 35 people, but they're just talking with five people or four people. And they, they feel a little bit uh, less inhibited. Um, some students have a lot of anxiety. And I had students that told me from the get-go, I am super, super anxious. And that's why I don't even do face-to-face -face classes. And I didn't know that you were gonna require the Zoom. So I'm sorry if I don't have my camera on all the time. So you have to be ready for that too. But I think that even the students that have the anxiety issues, they, they are better in the breakout rooms. And uh, last semester and last year, the breakout rooms in Zoom took a long time to let you back in to the main Zoom. So I just gave up on it. But this semester I tried it and it was much faster. So I just check in with them. I say, how's, how's it going? Did you finish? Do you need some more time? And then if they, and I also say like for the creative writing classes, they do their workshop. And I say, you don't have to come back. When you're done, you, you go, you're done. You don't have to come back to me. I'll be here if you need me, but do your thing, you know, because you're big boys and girls, <laughs> you know, you're adults. And I tell them when we are face-to-face, -face, you do not have to come back to report to me. I trust in the group that you're going to do the workshop work. And if you want to go get coffee, go get coffee. If you want to sit under a tree, sit under a tree. But I don't have to, I don't have to supervise you, you know? And, and I so think the other element too that we've, we've been talking about, and if I had all the time in the world, I would love to write about this at some point, but we were talking about the chat back channel. Um, so as a class is going on, suddenly the chat is lighting up over all kinds of things. And I have to admit, in my own work environment when we do have big bigger meetings or whatever the chat starts to light up and I usually get really engaged in it and I think it's the same reason why I started getting interested in online learning in the first place I felt more comfortable with that kind of to the side text read it when you want to I don't want to talk in front of 100 people either so um, Cecilia and I were talking about some of the things that students were talking about on the side and especially during this time period students wanted a forum they just wanted to connect and so they talk about all all kinds of things and support each other you know talk about when their parents were going to get vaccinated yay everyone's you know thumbs upping so that that back channel for, is very very interesting to me I'd love to kind of see see where that goes it's not just a throwaway it's something no. that it's a tool it's that helps students build connections. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they absolutely support each other. Like there would be a student who said, you know, um, yeah, I'm getting my vaccine today. And everybody's like, yay, good for you. And, the, you know, also like supporting. I had a student who 
talked about how her partner had tried to kill her and she had to leave school and go home to live with her parents, which, you know, was like for her a failure. And all the students were writing notes of support and, you know, we got you if you need to talk. And this is something else I learned. They created their own group me outside of even the class because they're sneaky. (laughs) They wanted to talk in a way that wasn't connected to the class at all that I didn't see, which is fine. I don't care. But I thought it was really, I I thought it was really interesting because I, uh, they, they told me stuff that that was in the group me that I needed to know. Right. So like Mm -hmm. one student would be tasked with emailing me and say, Dr. Milanis, the uh, assignment isn't open. We can't see it. And it's like, Oh, okay. So then I would fix it. And then, you know, the, the message would get through them. Um, I, 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 yeah, it's really, really interesting. And they, they were just so sweet to each other. And I just, I love it. And I told Amy, I have to go back through all those chats because I actually think it would be a really cool, uh, poetry project, all zoom found zoom poems. (laughs) I was just thinking the other day I was on a meeting and connecting with people who I hadn't seen in a while, who are colleagues in the U S mostly actually, um, and how much I love zoom meetings for the chat. I show up for the chat, right? Because you get to catch up with people on an individual level through the private chat or as a group, you know, you can have that, that back channel conversation going. It's such a good point. And I think um, really, truly one of the affordances of, of having that, um, that digital space. Um, what is a uh, group me? <laughs> it's just a, uh, I guess, what would you call, what would you call it, Amy? It's just it's like just, an app where yeah. you, everybody who you want in your group becomes like part of a listserv, but it's in through the oh. phone. Yeah. So kind of like a WhatsApp, but, but yeah, or a chat. Okay. Okay. Exactly. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. Cheryl, I think but we might've covered that next question. Yeah. I think we, me. I was like, what group me? <laughs> yeah, no, that's really interesting that they find, they find those spaces. Right. And it's, yeah. 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 I think we did. I think we talked about question two and three at the same time, but I was actually just interested in follow-up. I was thinking there's been a lot in the literature about surveillance and privacy and equity around cameras and Zoom in particular. I mean, I'm sure you've come across it. It's been a lot of it's been in the US. And I'm I really like to, you know, your what you're saying about actually this is what establishes the connection and that it's the approach, the care that you had underpinning that request for students to be present and and share with you and, you know, even be have it part of the assessment, which would have been, you know, you'd think, oh, that's a bit of a no-go. What about equity and things? So can you talk to us a bit more about why you think that's worked in your context and perhaps, Amy, even how you've taken that learning that you and um, Cecilia have had in, in other contexts or courses you might have worked with? Because I think that's quite an interesting sort of contradictory dilemma, this idea of presence and equity. I think that, you know, uh, I, I was selfish. I told them right from the get-go, I need you. I need to see faces. I need to see bodies. <laughs> I am very extroverted. I This is totally not me to be stuck in a, a room, you know. <laughs> But um, I, I really, this semester w- was really so enjoyable because I loved seeing them. And I think they loved seeing me too. 
I, I think that's the thing. When it's framed as cameras are required and you know people instantly don't want to. No one wants to be told. Um, but the way Cecilia, and I was in one of the Zoom calls with Cecilia when she said, I need to see you. And suddenly, <laughs> so I think it's framing. Um, and, and I've used that kind of thing to talk with other people that aren't, aren't quite sure. I, I, you know, tell faculty, never, never force it, never, you know, uh, try to be the police with the whole thing, but more invite, invite the students. I'm inviting you to turn the, turn your camera on because I need to see, you know, or something you. because it, you know, it really helps to see your face and if, you know, read the body language and see, you know, um, but if you, if you choose not to, that's okay too. I, yeah. You know, um, so I think it's really framing it as if, if you do this, this is really why, this is why I'm asking you to do it. It's not because I don't believe that you're there or because, you know, there, there are legitimate reasons why this is, you know, is, this is a source of connection and uh, we don't have that right now in person. So this is, you know, this is what we're using. So it's all in the delivery for sure. When the pandemic first started, I had, um, creative writing advanced fiction workshop. And by the time that the, the school was basically shut down, it was um, during spring break and they said, don't come back, right? Just go online. And my creative writing classes had already done the majority of the class work. So they only had like final, one final thing they had to turn in. And I said to them, I'm gonna do Zoom during our normal class time, just to check in, just if you need, somebody, if you want to talk about anything, this is totally optional. Uh, it, you know, you can show up or don't show up. And uh, there were a steady, you know, number of students that needed to see people because they were isolated, because they were alone, because they had all kinds of health underlying conditions and they were afraid of going outside. So there were students that just wanted to see people and to have some connection. So that was like in the in the, the beginning in March 2020, um, and I was afraid of how it was going to be in the fall of 2020 because again it was going to be the whole semester, and how are we going to do this? But for creative writing, which the class is a workshop class, the breakout rooms are just indispensable. You cannot do it without the breakout rooms and. Um, we did only one, maybe one workshop that was all of the students. And then the, that class, the number is limited to 20. So it wasn't too bad. If it was a bigger class, it would have been, it would have been hard. But with the literature class, it's all a class about discussion. So that I said, I want to see you because I really need to see you. <laughs> I need, I need people. I miss people. And um, at the end of the semester, uh, I, I need to show this, share the story because it's the most touching movement moment in my teaching history. The students were supposed to come to the final to share their final projects because at the end of the semester, they all share their final projects. And it could be a creative project, it could be a research paper, or it could be an oral history interview. And we started and I said, what, wait a minute, what, where is everybody? How come the cameras are turned off? Why can't I see you? And all of a sudden they, all revealed the cameras and they all had signs. Thank you. We love you. We love this class. Thanks for a great semester. And I just started bawling. I just like could not <laughs> keep it together. It was the sweetest thing. It really, really was. They all had their little signs and 
It was just, and I know they had to use the group me to figure that out because (laughs) (laughs) coordinate that. Yeah. 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 I mean, a lot of what you're talking about, and I think which is essential tenet of feminist pedagogy is creating those connections and establishing relationships of care through a variety of ways. And as you mentioned, that there's not just one way um, and, and kind of that there, you know, I, I guess um, being able to, to move through those complex ethical dilemmas without a sense of, oh, this is the right way and this is the wrong way. So I think sometimes like you were talking about Cheryl, we say, okay, well, we shouldn't require students to turn on their cameras um, because it's, you know, it it can cause problems for students who might feel like they're just not ready to do that. Or as you mentioned, Cecilia, students who have a lot of anxiety. Um, But actually it's all about how you use that tool is what you're saying and and communicating it through this um, sense of a, a caring invitation that is also attached to a message of, I need, I need to see you because I want to have this relationship with you. I want to be able to, you know, um, to make that connection. And if not that way, then maybe there's another way. So I I think that's really important what you're talking about. It's not, there's this or there's that you can do this, but you can't do that. It's about like thinking and being cautious and being careful as you go into those spaces. Um, but not that you can't do this or you can't do that. Right. That's, Mm -hmm. and I think that's a really important point that you've made even using the little emojis these little things you know they they use these things too right to express uh, support for each other like when the students you know they like have a good comment or you know something like that they'll put those things up and I think that it, it, you know in a way they found how to express themselves not just through the camera but also through the chat and through the little emojis and they also shared links in the chat and pictures also, if they didn't have a picture that they could show. And I, I had no problem sharing the screen with students whenever they wanted to share something to show something. So I think that it is, it is, you know, being empathetic is that's caring, right? It's not a feminist thing. It's just (laughs) a human thing. And so, um, you know, the feminist part of it is you know, no one voice is more valuable than another. And so I always say, okay, like, you know, when you leave the classroom, when we're face-to-face, I am Dr. Rodriguez Milanes because only 6% of faculty across the country are people of color. So, you know, there are very few of us. So it, it, it was a hard one degree, but we're in, in the classroom, I'm Cecilia and I'm a learner. And if I stop learning, I don't want to teach anymore. Because to me, that's why I want to be at school, because I, I love learning. That's a lovely way to put it, because I think what that does is it both acknowledges the path and the, and the labor that has got in, gone into the achievements that women of color have and have gained at the same time as being on, a, on the level playing field with students. So I like that approach. That's um. That, that's again, it's about not an either or, it's not a binary, it's about a continuum of, of things. So I think that's been really helpful. Um, actually, I think Sarah, I'll hand over to you for the next question. So, okay, so you've mentioned a, a few of these already, but um, what other challenges do you see um, in enacting these feminist pedagogies or as we're calling it, um, critical post-digital pedagogies of care. What are the challenges that you've encountered, and um, and maybe some of them you've resolved, and some of them you haven't? 
Well, yeah, and I think um, Cecilia and I haven't really talked about the fall yet. We're still kind of getting over the last year. Um, but it would be a, a, an interesting conversation to have, Cecilia. Let's say you go, you select a class that has that modality of in-person, just straight in-person, like you were used to. And now you don't have the emojis and you don't have the chat back channel. And But you do have people right in front of your face. Um, you know, what do you, what do you see as gaining or losing? And suddenly I'm the interviewer. Sorry. What if, I'm yeah, curious. I think, so. it's, I think it's going to be very interesting because like I said, you know, when you're in the zoom, you're in their rooms, you're in their small spaces. You're with their, you know, I had students that had children uh, and of toddlers that would come and sit on the lap and, you know, always pets, pets are always welcome. We had, you know, lots of students sharing the pets. And I had one student who every single class session, he had a different uh, background and he wanted me to see the background and comment on it. <laughs> so it like, how do you do that face to face? You don't do that face to face. <laughs> but they wear cool clothes or they have their hair differently or they get a new tattoo. And so you have to sort of be, you have to notice, you have to be observant. And I think as, you know, as a writer, I'm super observant because I'm nosy and I want to <laughs> want to see what's going on. So I was never afraid to call on a student. If there was a student that was quiet, I would say, you know, Josh, what do you have to say about this? You know, so I think that um, in in uh, whether it's face to face or in Zoom, there's going to be more reluctant or shyer or more anxious students and you know, to try to do it in a way that doesn't threaten them, that doesn't feel intimidating. And I think, again, small groups is really important, whether it's face-to-face -face or online. Get into the small groups, put them in small groups, visit from group to group. Sometimes don't visit the groups, let them do their thing and reconvene as a large group. I think that um, it is a strategy that is just super, super important. Yeah. Thank you for that. I mean, I think the sort of future is going to be as challenging as the present is in, so, in many ways for us all. Um, and I think at the start when we were talking, um, just before we started the recording, yes, we were all saying, you know, what is this new way of, of blending? And, and well, as Sarah and I are thinking of it, the post-digital, this where you're not, where it's going to be so hard to see the online offline as being separate and distinct, where we are going to be in and out of this um, sort of continuously and where students how it'll be interesting to think see how things like this group meet continue you know in do students carry on with informal online spaces for their learning even when they're some of them are together because they will all be distributed in different ways at times so that's really interesting um we didn't have any more questions but we just wondered if there were any comments you wanted to make now that we'd sort of had this discussion and got you thinking about it anything that you You'd just like to get to get us to think about or raise. Well, I think that you know, if 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 in this new post-pandemic world where we do have flexibility, because I think that now, I think industry, not just education and higher education, industry knows. Guess what? We can actually be productive at home. We don't necessarily have to go to the office. Um, we don't necessarily have to go to the campus. You you can do work that is not yeah. in the physical space of the place. 
Um, I always thought I never want to teach online. I don't want that. I love to be in the classroom. I want to be around people. But now I have grandchildren and I'm thinking, hmm, there might be semesters where I just want to be with them because they live far away and I could just deliver my class via Zoom. Um, that might be something that I do want, you know, because I now I know I could do it. Exactly. You have, well, we all had to be pushed, um, you know, so it, it, Cheryl had mentioned um, certain professors that may not have been ready or wasn't, you know, wasn't used to it after a year now of teaching in this way, you, you're just are forced to learn new ways to adapt. And some of those, I think, are definitely here to stay. I Talking about flexibility, not just teachers or me as an instructional designer, but students too. I mean, they, they have very complex lives. And I think we, we all knew that, but this time period really illuminated. Typically they have complex lives. Now it's to such a degree. And anything that we can do to, to relieve the burden of getting to campus, <laughs> literally we've got, you know, parking issues and money to pay for parking and the commute time and gas and all that people kind of downplay that but that's extremely important and if students can uh, participate in a way that is more flexible for them that doesn't just include asynchronous learning then that's wonderful you know so I, I think the main challenge ahead is just going to be preparing the you know faculty of, of tomorrow and I think that's part of this whole project is preparing them for approaching a classroom that's more fluid and just really hammering in some of those philosophical tenets at the very beginning you know what are the what are the philosophies that drive your teaching and how what does that look like in your classroom might that look like online and then really talk about here's some specific authentic examples of of how it's done you know how you could do this or that how do you show caring when you're fully online here are some ways you know so it's going to be like a, a pick pick and choose kind of method it's not going to be all or nothing like that seems to be a theme of this of this call is it's not it's not as it's not black or white but do you think amy that in an asynchronous environment where there is no Zoom that that you can deliver <laughs> the kind of ethics and feminism uh, and, and uh, yeah. show care? I don't know. Personally, I do. But I do think it also depends on the person. For you, as you said, you're more extroverted. You like to see. You like to talk. You like the back and forth. That's something that works for you. But there, there are people that it works more for them to be asynchronous, not do the back and forth. That's not where they feel comfortable. They feel more comfortable reading a discussion board and making really supportive comments, you know, sending a private message, you know, hey, I noticed you didn't turn this in. What's going on? How can I help? You know, that kind of a thing. So I think it can work, but it doesn't work for everybody, you know. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it would be tough for you, I think. I think it's so. Just, <laughs> And that's okay. I mean, you know, and that's the thing. It's it. We can't pick one thing anymore. When um, we've been doing online teaching at UCF for over 20 years, and it was either all online or all face to face. And now, just slowly, it's been, you know, diced up. And now we're, you know, we're talking about different attributes that we're going to be adding to our modalities to have the Zoom element, to have this and that. So I think we were going to move in this direction anyway. It just this time period has just 
you know, expedited it quite, quite a lot in a good way, I think. Yeah, like I was saying that UCF has always been very uh, proactive with technology and, and learning. And it, even 20 years ago, I don't know when you started at UCF, Amy, but there were these classes that had cameras at the branch campuses. And then like a professor at UCF would be delivering lecture with students in the class, but then there would be cameras and students from the other branch campuses could ask questions. In yeah. A, the two way. Yeah. You know? Yeah. 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 So yeah, UCF and they, you know, I have to, I do have to say, I get, I, I, I'm so happy that I have so much support at UCF, not just from instructional designers, but there's a center for teaching and learning. And again, it, like we wrote in the article, it takes a community. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's an anyway. important point. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely agree. It really does require that, um, you know, community of support and people with various types of expertise so that doesn't all um, fall on the, the staff member, you know, the, the faculty member who's teaching that class is so important. Yeah. It's a collaborative effort, isn't it? Absolutely. Excellent. Well, thank you both so much. I mean, for sharing your stories and your insights and just making us, making us sort of remember the importance of connection and care and self-reflection and critique and giving us some really useful strategies for how that's playing out in your university context and in um you know in your own teaching it's been really useful and i was just while we're doing it i had just found you both on twitter and thought there we go there are new connections to be made Yay. and um <laughs> i mean i suppose Always. Always professionally, the um, you know the openness now with all of us connecting, you know, have a needing to connect with colleagues and you know new bodies of work in this way. I mean, it's been you know, it's been really really nice for us. So thank you for your time. Thank um, you. Yeah, thank you. We are so happy to be in- invited and just to to share our work. It's very exciting. <laughs>